Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the Nurse Becoming podcast. It's so great to have you here today, and I am excited to introduce to you two nurse practitioners who are also burnout educators and mentors. So Erica Dorn and Diana Page are my two guests today. You may know Erica from her website, The Burned Out Nurse Practitioner. Actually, I think that's her Facebook page. And you may know Diana. She's the self-care catalyst or catalyst for self-care. And we'll be including all of their links and places you can follow them on social in the show notes, as well as in the episode. So you can get the full picture of who we're listening to and where you can learn from them. But basically what I wanted to do with this episode was bring on two burnout educators so that we could have a discussion about what burnout is, what it looks like, what to do about it, and the activities that you can take to essentially try to protect yourself from burnout. And the disclaimer that I will give about that is we talk about different ways to apply this burnout repellent, if you will. But I want to make sure that it's clear that we in no way are ever implying that burnout is at the fault of the individual who's burnt out. So yes, there are things that you can do to help prevent burnout, but that doesn't mean that if you find yourself burnt out, that it is because you didn't do these things. So I like to make that clear because sometimes I think that when we talk a lot about self-care activities and self-care practices as a way to combat burnout, it can easily translate into, well, if you became burned out, you didn't do enough self-care. And I don't ever like to put the blame on the person that gets burned out because when we're talking about burnout in the healthcare setting, a lot of this is a systems issue. So that's a story for a different day, maybe a future podcast episode of systems issues that trickle down and affect us personally, but wanted to make sure that I put that disclaimer out there. So this is a conversation that you'll hear between myself, Erica, and Diana. They will be introducing themselves in the episode, in the recording, once we dive right in. And then towards the end of the episode, you'll hear more about their platforms, where you can learn from them and follow along because this type of information is applicable to us all. This isn't just if you are burned out. This is education and content that I think is helpful for anyone on the professional spectrum. So let's get into the episode. I hope you enjoy our burnout roundtable. Okay, I am super excited for this episode with Erica and Diana. We are going to be talking about 
burnout. And uh, yeah, we're just going to get right into it. I want to introduce our guests and we'll hear from them, hear about them, and also really dive into their personal experiences with burnout because I I don't know too many people who kind of work in the burnout space or as burnout mentors who haven't gone through it themselves. So I think we've got some good stories to hear. So um, so welcome, Erica and Diana. Erica, if you'd like to go first and introduce yourselves to the listeners. Yes. Hello, everyone. And Amanda, I just want to say thank you for having me on the podcast and also for all the work you do for nurse practitioners. So I am a family nurse practitioner. I work in a rural health center doing primary care and then covering emergency services. Awesome. And Diana, how about you? Well, I echo Erica. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor and I adore all your work as well. So I'm a neurology nurse practitioner. I've worked in the outpatient setting for about eight years and the other years were inpatient and I specialize mostly in like headache and epilepsy. And I'm also a mom, mom of two tots. And I am now a burnout educator, kind of clinician well-being advocate and nurse and NP mentor as well. Awesome. So I definitely want to hear more about from both of you, kind of your burnout stories and how that evolved into the work that you currently do for other nurse practitioners. So Diana, tell us a little bit more about, tell us everything. <laughs> how much time? Are you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Looking back, actually, I think I definitely was burned out after my direct entry um, NP program, which I didn't really realize at the time. So that I think is the first time I experienced burnout. And then my sort of clinical burnout happened in my first NP job where I was working kind of in an inpatient outpatient role where I spanned kind of both worlds. We were kind of understaffed. They rolled out an incentive compensation plan while I was there for the physicians, which became kind of culturally a little bit of a shift. Um, There was a lot of work kind of flowing downstream. You know, I'd work 12 in a row sometimes. We were covering weekends. It was just a lot. And I very much was a yes person. I was very much a kind of didn't set any boundaries. I didn't really know what a boundary was at the time. Um, Now I'm the boundary queen. (laughs) Now I love boundaries. They are so healthy. But I definitely didn't have my own back and really never checked in on myself. And it took me actually a while to realize that what I was feeling was burnout. It really genuinely took me by surprise. Um, I knew I felt horrible most days, but I didn't really know. I thought because it was my first NP job, I honestly thought that this was just what it was to be an NP, which that's part of my why, why I do what I do now is because I really want nurses and NPs to know kind of what to look out for, what's sort of quote unquote normal, what's not normal. And, you know, when your environment is X, Y, Z, it's okay to self-advocate and set the boundaries and do all the things because that's definitely something that I was never taught in school. This isn't, you know, curriculum they teach you. And at least when I was in NP school, they didn't teach any of this stuff. So that was really the motivation for me to do what I do now. But um, I know we'll get into that in a little bit, but really it was, um, it was just overextending myself. And, you know, it was just, it was a really dark time, to be honest with you. I've, really, I would cry most days. It was really not ideal. I honestly almost left the profession, which now thinking back, I that makes me sad to think that I even thought that because I love what I do. I absolutely love being a nurse, being a nurse practitioner. Um, but I almost walked away because of burnout. So I'm glad I didn't. Well, I'm glad you didn't too. And I think you bring up a really good point about like, you just thought that 
this is what it was like to be a nurse practitioner. And I, I think that I can probably speak for all of us when I say that, you know, that's really core to our missions of making sure that we're doing kind of like the non-grad school educating of of what things can and should be like, because I agree, I, I never got any sort of um, this content when I was in school. And in fact, I think I was told in school, like, if you're not crying every day, your first year, you're doing it wrong. And like, that's such terrible, terrible advice. Um, so I'm glad that we've been able to kind of get together and, and help set appropriate expectations for those who are newer in the profession and like this is sounding familiar or people who are future NPs, NP students, so that we can let them know what to expect so that they don't end up in these burnout type of situations. Uh, So Erica, I'd love to know more about your story. Yeah, give it to us. Yeah, so my burnout story started um, actually when I was an acute care nurse working in a busy uh, neurotrauma unit. As we all know, the 12-hour shifts are actually 13, 14 hours. At the time, I had my husband and a young toddler at home, and I was just completely burned out. I dreaded going to work. I was not taking care of myself. I was not showing up for my husband or child I wasn't showing up for my patients, just had like that mental, physical, and emotional exhaustion. And like Diana said, I contemplated leaving healthcare altogether. Over time, I was able to overcome that burnout. And that's why I created the Burned Out Nurse Practitioner to help NPs to um, get past that burnout, to create work-life balance. Like Diana said, set the boundaries, you know, do what you have to do. And I think especially in this past year and a half (laughs) with this pandemic that we're still going through, there's really no end in sight. But I've just talked to a lot of nurse practitioners who are just struggling with the burnout and everything else involved. And just wondering if they're going to continue in healthcare. Yeah, I, I've been kind of hearing and, and sensing that from a lot of people too, especially, you know, during the past year and a half or so. And, you know, just to kind of tell a little bit about my burnout story, I actually didn't realize that I had one until way after the fact. And, you know, after following people like you and listening to more of this burnout information and kind of consuming this information. But for me, what it looked like was after after I had my twins and after I went back to work, I felt really detached from the work that I was doing. You know, I was tired all the time, but I was also, you know, working night shifts and I and I had two infants and two toddlers. So it wasn't like I expected to be exhausted. That didn't seem strange to me, but what felt really strange was feeling really detached from the work that I was doing, you know, working in emergency medicine and going to work and doing literal life-saving activities. And then after work and when I was away from work, not feeling like I made any sort of difference in the world and in the lives of my patients and feeling resentful towards my patients that they were taking me away from my kids. So that was really my experience. So it was much more burnout in the context of becoming a mother for me. And in the moment, I definitely didn't 
label it or identify it as such. But in hindsight, uh, that's, that's what it looked like for me. So kind of a question that I first wanted us to discuss is like, what's the difference between being burnt out and just being miserable in your job? Like, are there similarities? Is this a continuum or a spectrum or are these really different things? Yeah, I mean, I think we've all had, you know, bad days as a nurse practitioner and, you know, you might not like some certain aspects about your job, but burnout is really that prolonged, like the mental, physical, emotional exhaustion and just realizing um, that you have that and just just kind of more of the long-term effects of having miserable days. Yeah, I totally agree. I think too, you know, generally when you're burned out, you are miserable, but just because you're miserable doesn't mean you're burned out. I think, you know, you kind of, one of the things that you said about that disconnection, I think that's one of like the hallmarks of a more kind of serious issue with burnout where you become really disconnected from your role, disconnected from your patients. It's, you know, that exhaustion that really doesn't respond to the typical activities that you would do to make, like you go on vacation and you still feel crappy when you come back, you know, it's, it doesn't respond the same way, just kind of a bad day would respond. Um, And also just kind of feeling like you're not making a difference. You know, it's like, no matter what I do, I'm not going to have any sort of impact. And um, I think that that those are kind of the hallmarks of more of a burnout type picture. And, you know, we all have bad days, like you said, it's like, we all have them, but do they really impact us? And is it, you know, do the, do the bad days outweigh the good and how long, how severe is it? And, you know, now with everything going on, we have so much moral injury, which, you know, I've talked about on my page before, but that's something I see a lot with more of a burnout picture where, you know, you have people feeling like they have to act against their morals, which really creates more of a disconnection than it would typically. Can you give an example of what you mean by moral injury? Sure. So, An example would be, so moral injury is kind of witnessing or being part of some sort of activity when it comes to your patients that transgresses your values, your morals. So, I mean, like a very benign version would be, you know that your patient needs X medication, yet the insurance company, you know, won't approve it. Or, you know, a patient needs a surgery and their insurance won't approve it, um, or it's delayed for whatever reason, and then you know that they're not getting good care. Um, But also, it's, you know, what we've seen with the pandemic is that, you know, who gets treatment, right? That's a really serious one where, you know, that creates a huge rift and a huge amount of anguish for the caregivers because they want to care for everybody because that's our job, right? We're nurses, we're nurse practitioners, we're clinicians, we're there to help. But if there are not enough resources to go around, you know, there have been places where nurses and physicians and caregivers have to choose who gets a ventilator, who doesn't, and who gets treatment, who doesn't, which is a very extreme form of moral injury that can definitely cause some serious mental health implications. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like some early kind of signs of burnout would be, uh, we said, disconnection to uh, the work that you're doing, feeling like you're not making a difference, exhaustion that doesn't respond to typical either self-care or time off practices. Erica, are there any like early signs or even hallmark signs of burnout that that we're missing so that whoever's listening can maybe kind of go through a checklist so that they can figure out if they're experiencing this. 
I would have to say just having a lot of like the anxiety. So a lot of the NPs I work with just feel sick to their stomachs, you know, on a Sunday afternoon when they think about having to go to work on Monday morning. That's kind of one of the early signs, just those emotions. Also like some just frustration and overwhelm. You know, we all have stressful jobs, but when you, you know, try to make some changes and are not supported, you know, by administration. Those are a lot of things that can lead to burnout. Yeah, for sure. I've heard, I've heard that referred to as the Sunday scaries, like on Sundays when you, when you don't want to go to work on Monday. And, and something that you mentioned that I think is really important is if you've tried to make a change and that change isn't well-received, that's something that I've talked about before when trying to figure out like if you if you hate your job what to do next you know if you if you find yourself in an actual role that isn't fulfilling you or isn't bringing you satisfaction or that you don't like that's definitely one of the steps that i recommend doing before you just go ahead and and quit or resign is is figure out okay what's not working for me what what can i try to change so i think that's a a really good point that kind of falls into both categories of if you're miserable in your job. Um, and then also if you're, if you're burnt out, like what type of things can you change before moving forward? So I, I think maybe, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that would potentially be one of the first things that someone could do. Like if they've identified that they're feeling burnt out or that they have some early burnout signs, that could be something that someone could take action and do. Diana, what are some other things, some other steps that someone could take if they're recognizing these feelings? Yeah, so this is a great question. So I think, again, like one of the things I teach in mentorship and one of the things I talk about all the time is that we really need to check in with ourselves regularly. You know, I encourage all of my mentees to do kind of a post-shift reflection where they literally just ask themselves a few targeted questions when they get off of their shift to just ask them, you know, what is it that they're actually feeling? Sometimes if you aren't naming the emotion, it's really hard to make sense of the emotion and move through it. But also um, just knowing, like you said, what's triggering you is incredibly important because if you know you're feeling unhappy or you're feeling like things aren't working at your job, what is it exactly, like where is the problem? And then you can kind of try to come up with solutions if there are solutions. But I think that the self audit and the the looking at what is triggering you are definitely step one. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. I think uh, it's it sounds like it's almost like um, a personal debrief. You know, a debrief after your exactly. shift. We're all used to debriefs exactly. after codes and you know significant events. Um, but I think having a personal debrief that can be a really powerful mm-hmm. practice. Erica, what would you say are some other steps that someone could take who's feeling early burn burnout or identifying those emotions? Well, we have to take care of ourselves. That should be like a non-negotiable. And, you know, not only diet and sleep and exercise, those are all kind of meeting the basic needs, but also just, you know, doing things that bring us joy and doing things that we want to be doing and, you know, taking time off from work and, you don't have to feel guilty about any of those. Like it's not greedy to take care of yourself. You have to do those things in order to show up for your families or your coworkers or your patients. Yeah, for sure. Do you, Erica, have any like personal self-care activities that are, are mainstays for you that you'd like to share? 
Um, one thing that I started like when I was burned out and it really helped me just to kind of shift my mindset to more positive and that's a gratitude journal. So every single morning I, when I first wake up, that's easiest for me to do, but write down, you know, five or 10 things that I'm grateful for and they can be small things or big things, but I try to make them different every single day. And that really just helped me to look at the positives in my life and to be grateful for all that. I love that. Diana, how about you? What, what's something or a couple things that you personally do? Yeah. So, um, I just wanted to say before I say that is I think definitely self-care a million percent. And I think the best way to look at it is just making space for you in your life, you know, whether that be through self-care or time with your family or hobbies, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people forget like, oh, what were my hobbies? I know I felt that way after nursing school. Like, what did I even like to do? You know? So sometimes you have to kind of dig deep and see what it is, but making that space for yourself and not, like you said, Erica, not feeling guilty for doing that. You know, self-care is a human right, right? That's what we talk about. Um, So, but for me, so I have always been a big journaler. I actually recently found all my like journals from when I was a teenager, which I think is hilarious. And I have done classes where you like partner that with yoga. And I too, um, Erica, I think practicing gratitude is incredibly powerful. I actually do it in the shower every morning. That's easy for me because I have two kids that torture me in the morning. So (laughs) it's the only place that I can have like a quiet five minutes just to kind of self-reflect in the morning. So those, those are big ones for me. I know not everybody loves journaling. I think the biggest thing is really just to try things like see what works for you. You know, some people love doing meditation. Some people, you know, love exercise and all that, you know, whatever it may be, CrossFit or yoga. But I think it's a matter of just trying things and see what feels good. And then if it feels good, keep doing it. And if it doesn't feel right to you, try something else. It almost sounds like going on a date with yourself. Yeah. Oh, do that. I've done that. (laughs) (laughs) But like, even if you're, even if you're just exploring a hobby or like figuring out what you like, it's, you know, you don't have to necessarily like commit to one thing forever. There's not really a a person necessarily. It's really like what you, what you really like. For me personally, this summer I've explored or I've rediscovered my love for jigsaw puzzles, which maybe it's kind of a nerdy activity. I don't really know, but I've been known this summer to finish a 1000 piece puzzle, like between waking up and going to bed. Um, so I really, really enjoy them. I've got one on my dining table right now. So that's, that's been something that I've been really enjoying. And, and what I do while I'm jigsaw puzzling is I listen to the true crime podcasts that I love. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like doing two activities at once. It's, it's really quite lovely. That's amazing. Actually, one of the NPs I work with, he took an adult ed class in stained glass. He thought it would be kind of cool. And now he's like super into it and makes stained glass and sells it at like little art festivals and whatnot. So it goes to show like you never know what you're going to find really fun. And he makes time for that and it brings him a lot of joy. So that's awesome. That sounds really lovely. Hello, this episode of Nurse Becoming is brought to you by the inaugural NP Society Virtual Conference. You may know that I founded the NP Society earlier in 2021 as a place for nurse practitioners to learn and come together in community and support one another 
beyond the clinical setting. And I'm very excited that we're putting on our first virtual conference. So this is happening in October, on October 15th and 16th. It's a live virtual conference. And yes, there will be replays available. So if you can't attend live, I still want you to listen in. This is going to be I'm just really super excited. This is the first time I've done anything like this. And I'll tell you, we have six amazing guest speakers who are presenting on different topics. Yes, this conference has been submitted for approval for continuing education credits through AANP, which is awesome. Everyone needs CE credits, right? And the best part is you don't have to be an NP Society member to attend the conference. We, of course, would love you to be a member of the NP Society, but it's okay if you're not. I will say that if you are, though, you'll be invited to the members-only exclusive social event on Friday night with a very special guest known as Katie Duke. So you will be given the opportunity when you sign up for the conference to also sign up for the NP Society if you're not already a member. So I really hope that you will check out the conference page, check out the topics, see if this is something that you would like to attend. You know how I do things. This is not your mama's professional conference. And I really, really hope to see you there. So go ahead to the show notes of this episode. You'll see the link there. Or if you're listening and you want something that's easy to remember, you can go to theresumerx.com slash conference. And I'll make sure that all the information is there for you to learn more and register once registration is open. Again, the NP Society virtual conference is happening Friday, October 15th and Saturday, October 16th. We are submitted for up to seven hours of continuing education credits through American Academy of Nurse Practitioners. And I really hope that we will see you there, okay? Head to the resumerx.com slash conference for all the information. So I want to kind of come up with some burnout repellent activities that we can tell our listeners. And, you know, we've really touched upon a lot of different self-care activities, but if for someone who isn't, you know, burnt out, what would maybe be some top three activities that they can put into practice regularly to really help them from getting to that burnout place. And, and I want to first say, like, just like as a disclaimer, I don't feel like individuals are fully responsible for their burnout. So I don't want to imply that by saying there are burnout repellent activities, that it means that if you don't do this, it's your fault if you're burnt out. So I definitely want to put that disclaimer in there, but I'd love to hear Erica, your thoughts on some burnout repellent activities. Yeah. And I mean, just to add to that, kind of what you said before, just really like taking control of what you can control and kind of knowing the difference. Um, I mean, it's so easy for us to, you know, complain about our jobs and, you know, seeing so many patients and administration is not supportive and all that. But, you know, really just having those hard conversations and changing what we can control. And sometimes that's just, you know, changing our thoughts and our the comments that we make. So that would be one. I think also it really helps me 
for exercise. So I try to exercise at least every day, but then also over my lunch break, I will take like a 10 minute walk and preferably outside if it's nice. But that really just kind of gives me time to decompress, to kind of rest my mind. I mean, we're so busy in our lives and our jobs. And so that's just a little 10 minute time that I can kind of decompress and then reset for afternoon of clinic. And then I would also say just working on living in the present moment. Again, our lives are just so busy and chaotic. And so if you're able to kind of just focus on, you know, if you're spending time with your family or your kids, just kind of reset the mind, bring yourself into that present moment. And that really helps to have a positive life. I love those suggestions, especially the getting outside one. I I definitely have noticed a difference if I can get outside while working or, or even just a change of scenery. When, when I was working nights in the hospital, I used to take my break and, and walk to the other end of the hospital and go sit in the chapel and just have some, some quiet time. It wasn't like prayer time or anything. It was like actual solitude, quiet time. So I think that is, um, that would be my suggestion that I would add having actual solitude, actual quiet time when we're not listening to anything or consuming anything, any other um, information. Diana, what would you add to, to our list or what would be your top three? Yeah. So those, that's, those are great. I echo all of that. Um, I agree. And you know, the, again, the self audit, the making space for yourself is so key because we're just so go, go, go. We don't take the time to really sit back and ask ourselves like what we're feeling, how we're doing, what we need. We don't prioritize ourselves. So really, I think that concept of putting yourself first is really essential. I think for me, the things that move the needle the most in preventing it sort of <laughs> burnout repellent. I love that term. Um, <laughs> it's great. Um, I live in Maine, so we have a million mosquitoes. So that creates a very <laughs> nice picture. I love it. Was really the concept of self-advocacy and not being afraid to use your voice. I think, you know, a lot of times as nurses and nurse practitioners, we feel like we are voiceless and that we aren't, you know, allowed to quote unquote to speak up or to say what our needs are or to ask for what we need. Um, and I think it's really, really, really important to feel like you can do that and to do it in like the, you know, the job and at home, you know, like my husband and I, we always try to do that as well. And then boundary setting is really, really, truly essential because it's just self-protection and it's knowing your limits. You know, if you're operating beyond your capacity, you know, it's not that you're not capable. It's just that you only have a certain capacity for things. So I think that's essential as well. And then I want to add, when you're looking for a job, make sure that you are interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you and really take a hard look at the culture. You know, talk to as many NPs as you can and ask about the culture and, you know, make sure it's a healthy work environment. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, my observation has been that people leave jobs not because of the patients or the complexity. You know, occasionally it's because of the the demands and the workload, but more often than not, it's because of toxic work environment or a poor culture fit or a interpersonal issues that that can't be overcome. So I yeah, I echo that 1000% of 
doing what you can on the front end before even entering into a position to make sure that it's going to be the right culture fit for you. And that can come through questions that you ask in the interview, uh, as well as my favorite activity, asking for a shadow shift or a shadow block of four hours where your only request is to be a fly on the wall shadowing one of their providers who would be doing the job that you're doing. Because I think that you can take that opportunity not to try to learn, not to try to orient. This comes even before you have an an offer, if possible, uh, but to really observe and to pick up on cues of how the staff interact with each other, how the staff interact with patients, what seems to be most important to this organization, because that those will be, you know, big cues for what the the culture is, because I agree that that's really something that can lead to both burnout and also job dissatisfaction for sure. Uh, with our remaining time, I wanted to talk a little bit about boundaries. It's come up a few times in this talk, and I'm not sure that before I started learning more about this topic, I'm not sure that I really knew or understood boundaries or how to practice good ones. So I would love for us to kind of just get into a brief discussion about what boundaries are, what they look like, and how to how to practice them. So Erica, would you like to kind of kick us off on this, this discussion? Yeah, so boundaries are basically just the limits that you set. So I recommend for the NPs that I coach to set boundaries through their job, but then also personal boundaries too. And um, I think as you're setting those boundaries and it, you know, it can be different for every person. So you might set a boundary with yourself that you're not going to check, you know, work email or, you know, try to limit thinking or stressing about work when you're with your family. And kind of going back to what you had said, when I First, well, before I started the current position that I was in, um, during the interview, I asked if it would be possible for me to attend my son, who is in elementary school, you know, some of his programs that happen to be during clinic hours. And so I, ahead of time, had that hard conversation and asked, um, you know, if that would be possible for me to do. So that was like a boundary that I set up ahead of time and the my administrator was okay with that. And so it makes it a lot easier, you know, when I ask for time off to say, hey, my son has an event. Is it okay if I attend? Because they already know that's something that's important to me. And I think that's a major thing with setting boundaries is you have to be open and honest about those. People cannot read your mind. And so by, you know, telling people ahead of time what that boundary is can really help. Yeah, those are those are great thoughts. And I think that we can, uh, you know, I, I think maybe we might be more familiar with how we set boundaries with patients, like to really back up. And if you're having a hard time grasping, like what it means to set these personal boundaries and professional boundaries, think about how it's not acceptable for patients in most instances, to have our cell phone numbers and to call and text us. Like, and maybe in some situations that's appropriate, but nine times out of 10, like that's a professional boundary that we set with our patients. Um, We don't tell them details of our personal life. You know, we 
we learn about how to set that relationship up in that kind of boundaried way. And I think that what we're talking about when we say setting these other boundaries is setting the boundaries between us and our workplace or us and our colleagues in a way that, you know, is respectful of our time and, and, you know, says what our, what our limits and our preferences are. Uh, Diana, I'd love to hear your thoughts on boundaries. So I 100% echo all of that. I think that, you know, boundaries are essential when it comes to burnout prevention. And, you know, it can, like you said, be a boundary with your patients, be a boundary with colleagues, be a boundary with your partner, yourself. Boundaries can look very different depending on the situation. But I think, again, it's about figuring out where the boundary needs to be set first, kind of knowing what triggers you and then deciding where does the boundary need to be and what does that boundary look like? Like, do you have to have a difficult conversation with someone? And is that something that you're prepared to do? And I think, you know, sometimes we think just because we can do something that we should be doing something. I know that's how I felt in my first NP job, like, okay, well, this is my job. I'm going to do everything. Yes, 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 yes. But I think every time we say yes to something, it means we're saying no to something else. With You know, there's only so much time and only so much energy to go around. And you just have to decide what the trade-off is. You know, if you say yes to that shift, does it mean you miss your kid's birthday party? Or is it meaning you're missing your date night or your exercise class that you really wanted to do? You know, you have to kind of decide what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. And then having the self-love and confidence to self-advocate, which can be hard. You know, there's a lot of limiting beliefs that play into this and, you know, working through some of those and kind of finding your voice is, is really important. But I think even just delegating, honestly, can be a really healthy boundary. You know, it sounds like crazy, but just delegating some tasks that you don't need, really need to be doing or outsourcing certain things, you know, can still be setting a boundary with your time and your energy. So I think, you know, a lot of times the things in our life that we have the most anxiety about are the things that we don't have healthy boundaries for. And, you know, in addition to creating those boundaries, we need to enforce them because people will push back. You know, you have to anticipate that and then have a plan. You know, if someone breaches that boundary, what what next? You know, because just because someone doesn't think that the boundary is worthwhile doesn't mean you shouldn't be setting it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think, you know, sometimes boundaries, I feel like can have a negative connotation, but they're there is a way to set, you know, kind and respectful boundaries. And it all comes across on how you communicate that and how you set the expectation of that particular boundary. Just to use a a recent example, um, I took time off from the business in June. We moved and I wanted to make sure that I was present for the move and had, you know, fun things to do with my kids while they were on summer break. So I was very intentional. I took time off from my direct messages on Instagram, and I was only checking email once a week. So rather than just like deciding that and not telling anybody, I communicated those boundaries. So what that specifically looked like was there was an autoresponder in my DMs and also in my email so that anyone who emailed me got an immediate response back that very kindly said, you know, this month I'm practicing what I preach and taking time away from technology in order to be with my family. Here's what you can expect. You know, thank you for being respectful of 
of my time off. And I look forward to connecting with you when I get back. So I know that's not necessarily NP related, but I think it's a good example of how you can, you know, kindly set boundaries while also giving people what they, what they want and need. And to be honest, I got so much great feedback and, and respect from some of the people who wrote in, who then replied to my autoresponder, cheering me on that I was taking time off and and really inspired by the fact that not only did I make that decision, but I was also really upfront and communicative about that boundary. So I think that it's definitely something we all, I don't know, I feel like I need practice. It's, it's not something that comes naturally to me uh, and that's okay. It's still something that we can learn how to do. It's a skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I recently had an example of a boundary as well, where I think so this is NP related. So it's, it's relevant to our conversation. But basically, one of my attendees was going to be going out on a medical leave. And she has quite a panel of very challenging, a lot of patients on her patient panel. Um, So I anticipated it being overwhelming, (laughs) because I've been there eight years. So I know it's overwhelming. And the boundary that I set was not saying no, I'm not going to do that. Because of course, I'll help like these are patients that I see as well. But it was more of a yes, but sort of boundary where I said, yes, I'm happy to do that. But this is what I need in order to do that effectively and not be overwhelmed. So I asked for blocks in my schedule, like a half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the afternoon, um, just for like admin stuff to deal with her messages. And also, you know, blocking some slots for urgent appointments if things came up with her patients. And the practice was happy to accommodate that. But Again, you know, you can kind of think outside the box and it doesn't necessarily have to be a no, it can be a yes, but or a yes and kind of conversation. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, I think that we we won't know until we ask. And and I think that we can easily have this conversation with ourselves and predict how it's gonna go and decide the outcome before we've even tried. I don't know if you've ever had that, you know inner conversation where you're like, oh, this will never work because they're going to say X, Y, and Z, and they're going to shoot me down. And, and I hate this job. I just need to find another job that's better only to find out, you know, if you actually approach a situation, the outcome, you, you know, you're projecting that onto the situation. You don't know exactly how things are going to go. So I want to be respectful of your time. I really thank you both for being here. And you know, I brought you both on knowing that you both do similar work for nurse practitioners in the burnout space. And I did that purposefully because I think that this is an area where like all hands on deck, you know, there's there's definitely uh, enough to go around in terms of people we can be learning from about this topic. So thank you both for being agreeable to come on together. And I want to give you each the opportunity to plug your business and your social profile so that uh, those who are listening can go learn from you and follow along with you. So Erica, where, where can people find you and learn more from you? So I am on Facebook, the Burned Out Nurse Practitioner, and Instagram, Burned Out NP. Um, I also have my seven tips to save time charting. So you can find that on my website, ericadornnp.com. Awesome. Thank you. And I'll make sure all these links are in our show notes, uh, by the way. Diana, where can people learn from you and follow you? Thank you. I actually love that you brought us on together because I always love meeting other people, you know, 
educating on these topics, it makes me really happy that there's other nurses and nurse practitioners out there talking about this because it really, you're right, it's so important and there's, we need to speak louder about it. So I'm on Instagram at Catalyst for Self Care. My website is actually under construction, but it is usually <laughs> um, selfcarecatalyst.com. And I have my signature mentorship program, which is the Resilient Nurse Roadmap, which is helping nurses and nurse practitioners find better work-life integration um, giving them the tools they need to navigate the workplace when it comes to boundaries, self all really all the things that we talked about today, and also kind of reconnect with their identity outside of nursing, which I think is something that a lot of us struggle with. I also have a boundaries freebie that I'll be um, sending to you, Amanda, and you can put it in the show notes. Um, it's a PDF of kind of a workbook for boundary setting with some helpful tips on how to do that and how to use your voice and how to have those difficult conversations when it when it comes time to set the boundary, which of course makes us all very nervous, but you can definitely do it. <laughs> So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank and you both I, so much for your time. I just wanted to add, make sure you check out Diana's Instagram because her posts are very entertaining <laughs> and very helpful. So <laughs> thank, thank you for having us on. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you guys. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.